Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo, and I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Does anyone these days? I was, I was just going to say, you know, we, we fly our pirate flag in the tailgate if there even is going to be a tailgate this year. I mean... Um, what what day is it, Sam? I, I don't know. I, I'm not I, sure. My, 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 I, I can't discern from a weekday and a weekend anymore. Um, it's wild. Yeah, so yeah. how's quarantine going for you guys? Uh, I, I, this is. I have three children under the age of six. This is what we <laughs> we were tweeting this. We were tweeting this out earlier in the week because there was a great article that I think a Detroit paper wrote about Tommy Doles, who's currently quarantined in Paris. Um, and it's really cool. And he's talking about you know how effectively he's used his time and being like he's had a lot of time for personal reflection and talking about how he wants to make a difference. I think he wants to join the military reserves, but then afterwards and really planning it out and being like, how can I have a life full of meaning? And talking about you know all the solitude has really given him time to think. And it's that is incredibly admirable. And at the same time, I was like. At, at the time that we did that, my daughter had just tried to pour chocolate syrup all over one of her stuffed animals. And I was like, tell me more about this solitude where you have this. Tell me more about these periods of reflection that quarantine allows someone to have, because that's not really what's happening in this house. But, uh, yeah, well, I, I, heard, I heard the like everyone was saying, oh, but in, in nine months, there's either going to be a ton of uh, babies or a ton of divorces. And, you know, the, no one, like, this, this, there'll be a ton of babies and it'll be everyone's first. Yeah. No, nobody with kids is like, baby. all right, honey, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, you know, I will, I will say, like, and, like, I'm being quite honest here. Um, it's like, in some ways, it's really fun to be, to be, to, like, have lunch with my kids. And, like, we went for a walk at four o'clock today. It's, like what's killing me is the schedule. So I think, I think today uh, my wife and I had, I don't know, like five shift changes throughout the day so that one of us could be on a, a work call or, or the other, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what's killing me. Um, the kids are an added complication, but, um, there's, I don't know, there's some silver, there's some silver linings to this as well, but, um, man, it's nuts. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we think there's probably going to be, college football next year but you know you start you were starting to see stories and discussions on you know is there going to be enough off season and you know obviously spring practices were cut short for everybody um and i I guess liberty and old miss can just play each other 12 times well sure if or or will they all have coronavirus yeah they're all gonna have coronavirus so you know i guess they can play in their quarantine little uh stadium and uh, in front of no crowds because who in their right mind would go um but you know that that that's for another story I, I think what we have today uh something really fun to think about you know we've been kind of talking about recruiting obviously this year is you know a ton of things have kind of come up uh with nonetheless last season for the cats um you know this whole quarantine and, and all of the restrictions being put on recruiting. Now, you know, who knows what next, the 2021 recruiting class is going to look like. Um, 
but so we're kind of going into this this thought experiment, if you will, with the I guess ground rules of if this was a season an off season as one would have expected us after a three and nine season. Um, you know, we're we're kind of going under the assumption, and I, I don't think anyone would would argue this at this point. You know, as we are competing with other schools for the top talent coming off a season like we had last year, we're not going to be winning like the 50-50 questions, right? You know, everyone is going to be more than likely going to the quote-unquote blue blood schools or schools that are widely considered better than Northwestern. Um, so, you know, we with, with that in mind, we kind of had gone back over the past 10 years or so and... Um, we we put together two teams, uh, team A and team B, if you will. And, and just, we, we have this up on our website, westlawpirates.com. Uh, go check this out. We uh, it's also up on the, the, the Northwestern rivals board. Um, you know, what these two teams are, but you know, we, we put these two teams together, uh, based on the last 10 years and put it up on rivals as, as a question, you know, what, which of these two teams would you be, expecting to win and it's based on based on the the recruiting and and whatnot overwhelmingly uh the people on rivals and i guess not even overwhelmingly 100 percent thought 100 percent yeah thought that uh quote-unquote team b uh would be a better team than team a john you, you want to explain a little bit what we're talking about here sure and i think there's probably a lot of you being like you know people on the rivals board were positing one as as you guys said a hundred percent said team b would win i'd say a solid 75 percent and probably more said that it would be a blowout um there was a third question that we asked too which was um one of these teams started justin jackson team b uh, and team a did not start justin jackson and we asked okay um well, would your decision change if Justin Jackson switched teams? I'll explain why we asked that question in a second. But the main thing was, right, like Team A's roster, Team B's roster, everyone's like, Justin Jackson can play on whatever team he wants. It ain't going to matter. Team B is going to roll. So now, because you're all wondering, we'll explain what this was. Team A was composed of Every player Northwestern signed in the last 10 recruiting classes who had an offer from Michigan, Notre Dame, Stanford, or we'll say similar. You shouldn't have to work very hard to think of the schools we're talking about, right? Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, in the case of an Afadi or Jordan Thompson, right? Auburn. Um, we included Tennessee and Virginia Tech. Two teams that I wouldn't quite put at the Michigan level year in and year out, but are two teams with mass amounts of resources who are outside of our region. Um, anyway, that is the list of all those guys. So basically, Sam said it right off the top, the big boys. We beat one of the quote-unquote big boys to land all the players on Team A. Team B is everyone else we recruited in those 10 years, right? So... On one hand, Team A is pulled from a way smaller pool of players. 43 guys. That's over 10 years. 
43 times Northwestern has beaten the big boys to land a player. Of those 43, 14 were in the last two classes. That's what going 10 and 3 and then 9 and 5 with a Holiday Bowl win and a Big Ten West Division title does to your ability to go head-to-head with the Michigans, the Notre Dames, the Stanfords, okay? But Team B, on one hand, was pulled from a pool of 141 guys, and really 142 if you count a certain walk-on wide receiver who's now playing for the New Orleans Saints. Um, Pulled from a much larger pool of guys. But, man, is it a stacked group of guys. Well, and let's start with the most stacked part of it. I'm just <laughs> I'm just going to read the defense. Um, and and as you're hearing this list, like, this you, is, you won't be... This is Team B's defense, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team B's defense. Like, you won't be surprised. Like, this is why everybody's like, oh, it won't be close. Like, Team A won't be able to do anything on offense. Um, no matter who the offensive co- coordinator is, no matter like what the scheme is, like they're Dunsky. And here's why Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Joe Gaziano, Sam Dup Miller, Anthony Walker, Patty Fisher, Nate Hall, Nick Van Hoos, Matt Harris, Godwin Iguibuike, and Kyle Cairo. Lights out. <laughs> like, frankly, the team you could assemble from the Team B reserves. You have, like, Alex Miller, Xavier Washington, Blake Gallagher, Joe Jones, Brett Walsh, Montre Hardage, Jared McGee, Travis Willick. Like, I mean, the defense is absolutely insane on Team B. One of the interesting things, and one of the reasons we tried to pose it is, um, the Team B, the one glaring difference between A and Team B is Team B starts Zach Oliver at quarterback, with Aiden Smith and Andrew Marty as backups, Team A started Clayton Thorson at quarterback with Matt Alvidi as a backup. So, so I had one question here: Was Dan Person not eligible, and was Dan, King Coulter not eligible for they, this list? Yeah, as as old as it makes you feel, both of those guys were recruited. Oh my god! Than 10 years Seriously? Ago. <laughs> yep. Oh jeez. Uh, Yep, you got to go a ways back for those gentlemen. Um, this began, I think, with the 2011 recruiting class. Uh, okay, all right. So you're not including – yeah, yeah, yeah. You did it based on when they were recruited, not on when they played. Um, right, exactly. That, that makes sense. Because interestingly, like, I because he decommitted from Stanford – well, I guess, he, I guess his offer kind of got pulled. I don't quite know. But Coulter would be a Team A guy, I think. Absolutely. This is Wait, some... What about Persa? Did, per, did Persa have a Penn State offer? So this is a really interesting thing to talk about. And again, now that we've kind of pulled the 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 wool out from this, there are a bunch of ways we want to pick at this, right? Because it, it helps just kind of paint certain pictures. And keep in mind, like, we're not making a certain argument. We just want... This is a... This hypothetical, this Team A versus Team B, is a great vehicle to help us understand what Northwestern recruiting is going to be like in a year like this. Scuzz, you make a great point. Of one of the interesting things is if you look at Team B and you're like, look, Team B is basically the better team at pretty much every position other than quarterback. QB, and by, yeah. Other than QB. There's, that's not an accident. Um, and here's why. If you go all the way back 
to Dan Persa and you run through every Northwestern starting quarterback represented really through here and just we're not going to have to work too hard. Basically be like, all right, of any quarterback Northwestern's recruited, who are the guys you consider to be successful starting quarterbacks? Okay. And start it with Persa. Dan Persa, Kane Coulter, Trevor Simeon, um, and Clayton Thorson. Every one of those guys. So Coulter, Stan. Oh, I'm sorry. You can go back even farther. Mike Kafka. So go start yeah. with Mike Kafka. Mike Kafka, uh, Dan Persa, Kane Coulter, Trevor Simeon, Clayton Thorson. Mike Kafka, we beat Stanford straight up. Kane Coulter, we don't know exactly what happened, like Scott said, but we beat Stanford for Kane Coulter. Dan Persa, we beat West Virginia when West Virginia was red hot. Oh, wow. That was the Richard years. Right. Oh, wow. For Dan Persa. So would I put West Virginia on the big boys list now? No. Would I put him there when Dan Persa was there? Yeah. And I mean, we had Dan on a while ago and it's like you talked about how big of a deal it was for him to have to make that choice because of the brand that West Virginia was at the time. Um, and Clayton, of course, had a Michigan offer and chose Northwestern over Michigan. Trevor Simeon is the outlier. Trevor did not have an offer from one of the big boys, despite being a, a highly regarded recruit. But you can look at the group of guys and be like, okay, so quarterback seems to be like, here's the short of it. Every two or three years, you need to be beating one of the big boys for a quarterback. That's a good recipe for success at Northwestern. Um, the transfer market, which has been, you know, clearly not a, we don't, at least the returns so far haven't been great. We hope they're going to be a lot better next year, but realistically, that's a position where you need to be beating one of those primary teams. You need to be going head to head with one of those teams and coming away with a win. Um, quarterback. I mean, just as Scuzz said, defense, um, is at least at Northwestern is a little bit of a different story. Um, you can put together an unreal defense, just like the Team B defense, without beating any of those guys. So it's it's the first way to kind of go and be like, okay, but quarterback, really, you got to be winning one of those battles every couple of years. You've got to be able to land one of those big boys um, to field an effective quarterback year in and year out. Hey, sidebar, um, this is going to make you feel old because – Man, a lot has happened to this guy since then. But you know who Kane Coulter's primary recruiter was from Stanford, at least the named guy on Rivals? Oh, gosh. Who? DJ Durkin. Oh, wow. Wow. A, a guy who's had, I think, three other jobs and been hired and fired as a head coach since yeah. recruiting Kane Coulter uh, and pulling his, pulling his scholarship. Yep. I would argue that you'd have to put Coulter on Team B because um, at, in the end, like, like – he didn't have a Stanford offer. His next best offer was Arizona state, um, which would only make team B that much better. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's like, that's what we were, you know, it's funny. Um, I think an unspoken thing when we were comparing these teams is if you take Clayton and you put him on team B, it's like not even, not even remotely close. So um, let's, let's kind of run down the, the guys on team B uh, that, that we're talking. I mean, yeah. we're just kind of, uh, top to bottom. So at quarterback, we've got Zach Oliver, uh, starting at running back, Justin Jackson, uh, three wide receivers, Austin Carr, Ben Skoranek, and Flynn Nagel, Cam Green, a tight end, 
And then Rashawn Slater, Ian Park, Brad North, Jared Thomas, and Nick Urban as your offensive line. What? Let's just pause there and reflect on that. Rashawn yeah. Slater, Ian Park, Brad North, Jared Thomas, and Nick Urban. It, Whoa, cats. Yeah, it's the... What's funny? Go ahead, Sam. Keep. I won't step on. No, it. Go I, ahead. What? We we've run down the defense. Uh, yeah, that's already, true. So the I mean, it, so here's the interesting thing, and I kind of hinted at this. You know, when we people were asking questions, and and of course, just unequivocally, emphatically, with exclamation points, picking Team B over and over again. Um, one of the questions that we posited was, well. What if Justin Jackson switched to Team A? Here's why we asked that question. Justin Jackson, if for anyone playing along, you might be sitting there being like, wait a minute, why is Justin Jackson on Team B based on everything you've just described? Why is the most decorated player, and with the exception of Afadi Adenabo, arguably the biggest recruit of the last 10 years sitting on Team B, I don't know what to tell you. Michigan didn't offer him. Notre Dame didn't offer him. Ohio State didn't offer him. Penn State didn't offer him. Stanford didn't offer him. None of the SEC boys offered him. We signed Justin Jackson the spring after we went 10-3 and and won the Gator Bowl. A massive watershed year for Northwestern football. And if that spring, after all of that, we would have failed to beat Illinois, Cal, and Indiana for Justin Jackson. It would have been a travesty. Um, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're like, what were all these teams doing not offering Justin Jackson? Whatever. It's just interesting to say because you look at it and you're like, I can't believe Justin Jackson's on Team B, but there he is. Um, he's He is. And then, you know, you compare him to Team A, and what's funny is we've written – whole pieces encourage you to look on the website on our recruiting deep dive talking about how crazy the running back position has been relative to recruiting and everything that's gone on but not only is team b start justin jackson team b's reserves are isaiah bowser john moten and jeremy larkin team a starts solomon vault and then it falls off a cliff um and And so so i mean let's run quickly run through team a um we talked about Clayton Thorson at quarterback. You just mentioned Solomon Vault at running back. Christian Jones and Genson Hooper-Price as your receivers. Uh, tight ends, Garrick Dickerson and Trey Pugh. Your offensive line, Tommy Doles, Peter Skaronsky, Eric Olson, Zach Franks, and Josh Preeb. Uh, on defense, you got Ifadi, Jordan Thompson, Trent Gones, and Ernest Brown. Uh, linebackers, Khalid Jones, Cullen Coleman, and Nathan Fox. And your secondary is Travion Henry, Greg Newsom, Coco Azima, and Roderick Hurd. Uh, so a lot of younger guys there and, and that speaks to, you know, the past couple of years, how, how great the cats have been and, you know, the, the guy, the teams that we've been beating for these recruits, um, you know, that, that kind of, there's a couple of, the, the, there are a couple of other guys worth noting, I think on the, on the team who are listed in backups. So on, on DBs, um, I, I'd probably name Marcus McShepard, McShepard ahead of, you know, Rod Hurd or Coco Zima. And, and I think John, you, you, you ordered these guys based on what, like recruiting pedigree or? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, right? Because we don't know. Like, for example, you talked about how awesome the team B offensive line is, and it is the team. A offensive line could be 
absolutely epic. We just don't know at this point. Um, and that's the thing. But, again, you can look at all the guys and, and right. I mean, there, there's a little bit of, like you said, right. Like, there's some guys who are more tested here. So it's it's hard to say. Well, just guys that played a bit, right? So Mick Shepard at DB, um, Deontay Gibson at D-line. Uh, Jack Kanapka is a name on the O-line that, 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 that stands out. But but where, I, I mean, like the running back position is is pretty stunning and then wide receiver as well like Christian Jones was was great uh, as a wide receiver and um we we have high hopes for Genson Hooper Price and and Bryce Kurtz and Malik Washington's another guy on the team now who's young and has shown some flashes right but um it's just it's 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 stunning to see this collection like Garrett Dickerson Trey Pugh you know, we all believe Trey can do a lot on the field as, as a tight end. Dickerson was incredible, but Cam Ge- Cam Green was absolutely just as good. And it's it's just like like Team A is is really really good, and that's one of your points. Like that's this is a really strong Northwestern squad. This this list is not about like recruiting stars or any of that. Um, it's just a really really interesting thought exercise when you line these two groups up and. I mean, maybe it's as simple as having a bigger pool of players to play to pull from, um, or or just some of the special players that we've developed on defense. And I think that's ultimately where where some of your thesis comes down to on this is this highlights how well Northwestern develops players, especially defensive line, especially at linebacker, and you know with the hopes we have for for a guy like Kurt Anderson and what he might be able to do with with the O line and with some some prime recruits on the O line, like even in a year where we're not going to beat a Michigan, we're not going to beat a Stanford for many players. Like it's not a lost year recruiting wise either. Absolutely. And this is something that I think, you know, we sort of were going at and, and something to talk about. Okay. So how does this all apply to this recruiting season? Right. Because I mean, and we can get at it in a second, but you know, if you look at the message boards and everything, there's definitely been some real hand wringing about what this recruiting class is going to look like. And, and that's, warranted i'm not saying that i'm saying like if you're if you're looking for great recruiting like stars like that kind of like highlights this isn't going to be that kind of class like at least on signing day we're not going to be popping the champagne based on this kind of class and because those guys with the exception of justin jackson who's really the exception that proves the rule in this case the guys that you tend to celebrate over and we all talk about recruiting stars but beating those big boys those are the guys that were the big names on signing day, okay? And the record we had in the season before a recruiting class directly correlates with how many of the big boys we beat. I mean, it is it is stark. And the last 10 years, I can take you right through it. By the way, in case anyone's wondering, really easy math. Take the year of the recruiting class subtract two years that's the season that directly predated that recruiting class directly preceded it in other words that's the season that is most likely having an impact on our ability to recruit in that particular time so in other words randomly 2011 recruiting class the 2009 season is the season preceded that class so that's outback bowl kafka right so so 2011 2009 season 2009 season, we go 8-5. and five. The 2011 recruiting class has four guys. We beat Stanford three times. We beat Oregon one time. 2012, 
recruiting class based on the 2010 season. In 2010, we went 7-6. and six. Again, a pretty good group of guys, five of them, including Afadi, who that's, by— That's the—sorry, go ahead. So just Afadi on his own had Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Stanford, and USC. Never forget that. <laughs> that that's the Persa year, the Wrigley year, Persa getting injured, going to— uh... Dallas for the Dallas Bowl and losing to Texas Tech, I believe, yes? Yeah. Right, it, yes. So, if you're keeping track, that's nine guys, nine big recruiting battles we won over the course of those two years. In 2011 season, we went 6-7 and seven overall. And you know how many of those battles we won? Two. Marcus McShepard, who had a Penn State offer, and Matt Alvidi, who had a Notre Dame offer. This will be a theme. When we have good seasons, it is a momentum getting the ball rolling kind of thing where a big season or a run of relative success is good. But regardless of that, anytime there's a down season, you immediately see the numbers fall off. In terms of recruiting, really, we could argue to this day that the high watermark is the 2014 class, which directly followed the 2012 season with the Gator Bowl win, um, breaking the Northwestern Bowl streak. We go 10-3. and three. That season, I mean, the, the decorated, like some of these guys worked out, some of them didn't work out. But on signing day, the Parker, Westfall, Garrett Dickerson, Austin Anderson, Tommy Dole, Solomon Vault, Clayton Thorson, Justin Jackson recruiting class, that's the standard bearer for, for everything. And that's the kind of season it takes to win that many battles. Here's what happened over the next two years. We went five and seven each of the next two years. And over those two years, fought like directly following that massive haul following the Gator Bowl, we picked up five of those guys total over the course of two years. And in 2016 recruiting class, directly following 2014, the second of the two five and seven years, we only signed two guys. And then 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. We all know what happens. We go 10 and 3, 7 and 6, 10 and 3, 10 and 3. That string of 5 and 7 years suppressed things. So even though we only went we went 10 and 3 the year after that, we still only won 3 of those battles. The year after that, we won 4 and then 7 and then 7. Two massive hauls the year after that. So again, what you see is When the ball gets rolling in a positive direction, it can really get into something big. But regardless of how it's been going, the minute there's a down season, you see those numbers drop. And that's what you're going to see. Another thing, you're just kind of, you're just looking at, you know, the fact that right now we have two commits and they both committed in March. So Donnie Gray, wide receiver from, uh, from Deerfield, Massachusetts. And then, uh, just a couple days ago, Josh Thompson. Uh, offensive lineman from Fenton, Michigan, uh, committed. And, you know, you, you look kind of back even just to last year, um, when our first commitment was, and that's not counting, um, the quarterback out of Boulder who, you know, was our first commit, but, you know, obviously is not coming. But, uh, at, at this point, uh, last year we had two guys who committed in December, um, and then one in the early part of March. And then we had a number, you know, in April. So, 
Um, you know, we had three guys at, at this point last year, uh, the year before that, uh, 2019 class, we had, um, you know, Bryce Gallagher committed in September of the prior season. So, you know, at, at this point, two years ago, we had five commits. So, you know, that, that really just kind of shows that, you know, we're not beating teams, uh, for these commits and, you know, we're not getting the commitments as early as we had in, in previous years. Right. And this is kind of where all this is going, right? Because if you're looking for a parallel to this season in the last 10 years, you would definitely say the 2016 recruiting class. That was the recruiting class. Every So here's a way of thinking about it. Every guy signed in that 2016 recruiting class signed with a team they had just watched go 5-7 and seven two years in a row. So think about that. That 2016 class added two guys to the Team A pool. Cam Colwich and Rod Campbell, neither of whom started for Team A in our pool. Here's the list of guys that 2016 class added to the Team B pool. Jeremy Larkin, Patty Fisher, Travis Willick, RCB, Jesse Brown, Jake Saunders, Riley Lees, Alex Miller, Ben Skoranek, Gunnar Vogel, Nick Urban, Brian Bullock. Uh, you, you may recognize some of those names. Keep in mind, a guy like Patty Fisher signed with a Northwestern team. He had just watched go five and seven two years in a row. All right. Never forget the power of the Northwestern brand, what Northwestern is as a school, and Northwestern's reputation for developing talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Those things all matter a lot. So, should we sugarcoat it and be like, okay, we have two, we've assigned two recruits, and according to rivals, they're both two star recruits? Yeah, this is not going to be a sexy recruiting class on signing day. That 2016 class had three two-star recruits. Travis Willick, Alex Miller, and Jesse Brown. Not feeling too bad about those. I think they did okay. Yeah, I think they worked out. Not feeling too bad about the two-star recruits in that class. Um, So it's it just, it all goes to show, right? Yeah, you want to have, you want to win those battles. You want to win those battles for the big boys. Northwestern does really well developing those guys. We take those guys we win those battles on and turn them into excellent players. We also do a damn good job with all the guys we didn't win those battles for. It is interesting because, like, as I'm parsing through the, the, you're going back to Team A, Team B. Like, there's some, there's some high end talent on Team B that, like, Brad North was a pretty, pretty well regarded offensive lineman coming out of Allen, Texas, right? Um, JJ, obviously a uh, four-star player, you know, Anthony Walker and Patty Fisher are kind of like famously missed by, um, by, by, by other, uh, other recruiting entities, et cetera. But, um, I mean, it's, it is, it is interesting. And, and, and I think, I think back to the recruiting profile you did a couple of years ago, right, John, where you were kind of exploring, um, both, uh, the recruiting grade and then kind of the um, 
the production grade that we got out of players, right? By position group. And we're looking at coaches and I, and I look at someone like, uh, like Josh Thompson, uh, at O-line. And I, and I just, I think about what a coach like Kurt Anderson is going to be able to do with him versus what Adam Cushing was, was struggling to do with, with players of a similar ilk. And, um, it just, you know, I, I think we we remain optimistic about the future of Northwestern football, and this is a a, a different, ex, you know, not different, but this is a drop off that we're going to experience on the recruiting front from past seasons. But it's not it's not outside of the wheelhouse of this team to do something good with it, for sure. And again, you can look at it two different ways because the fact that Northwestern is so great at developing talent cuts both ways. On one hand, it means that 141 guy pool of those guys who didn't have offers from the big boys produced this ungodly defense and a pretty darn good offensive line and an awesome receiver core, etc. Um, but it also means, and this is kind of one of the things that was the genesis for this whole thought experiment in the first place, of the 43 guys... Northwestern won those big recruiting wars for over those 10 recruiting classes. Not only were there 22 guys, basically, um, that you could field a darn good football team you'd absolutely go to war with. Like, not only were there 22 guys total, there were 22 guys spread across all the necessary positions to put this together. It's a little thin at linebacker and young and Nathan Fox, you know, was a big recruit who just battled injuries for a long time. Um, And you've got Khaled Jones and Colin Coleman who are relatively untested. Well, Coleman, obviously, and Jones still at this point on, you know, the front end of his career. Um, It's a stacked team across all the positions. And you factor in again, that team was put together from 43 guys and basically of 43 guys you're able to put 22 excellent starting football players on the field. So would we like to get a ton more of those guys? Absolutely we would. Are we going to get them this year? Probably not. So it it cuts both ways and it's like, yeah, you absolutely want that. And it's one thing to remember, like, do not forget the stupid amount of talent that this team has assembled that were all freshmen and sophomores last year that are going to be aging into more meaningful roles on the football team. Um, it's It all matters. So it's all to say it's like we're not making a particular argument here. It's just we're going to have a drop-off in that area. We still are going to find a ton of good guys. So it's like we aspire to be in more of those battles. It takes winning on the football field. We're going to get through it, and we're going to get through it in a really positive way. Well, that was cathartic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cathartic. A to to talk football too. <laughs> uh, yeah, talk it, football. It's been a minute since it's been a minute since we talked football. It's, it's really nice to do. We were we you know right before this pod we asked we we said you know ladies feel free to put down the giant bucket of water the ladies basketball team has been carrying for like months now. You don't have to carry the water for us anymore. We're, we're ready to talk football. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, right. Like the, there's going to be this freeze Sam was talking about. Obviously it affects all teams. We don't know exactly how it's all going to shake out and everything. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, between Donnie Gray and Josh Thompson, right. One or both of those guys could end up being great players. They could end up being excellent players, but 
right now you're looking at it and you're looking at four stars spread between two guys and being like, yeah, eh, like it's not, I'm not much to, to get excited about. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, my, my biggest takeaway from this whole thing is like, let's not wring our hands that, you know, the, the recruiting class on signing day isn't as sexy as, uh, as other classes. You know, we've done more with lower star players over a, pretty big stretch of time and that's just how we've how we've done business and well and scuzz made the great point too right that there are guys who were highly regarded recruits like so like godwin being a classic example right yeah, um yeah godwin was um what cincinnati area um i believe right um and was a really highly regarded player but ohio state didn't come call- calling penn state didn't come calling right um, and Northwestern's been able to kind of slide into those areas a couple of times and and pick up guys like that. <clears throat> it's worth remembering to come back to it again that that 2014 recruiting not, not not Cincinnati, Columbus. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's right. right. And it's worth it's worth remembering that recruiting class I talked about right that that had um, Patty Fisher and Ben Skoranek et cetera et cetera et cetera all of those guys right remember. Those guys chose to come to a Northwestern football team that had gone five and seven each of the past two years. And remember, if you're in high school, things get compressed. So basically, like, they know a five and seven Northwestern football team. That's who's recruiting them right now. And they chose Northwestern um, on, you know, on basis of everything that they believed in with the program and fits and the school. And a lot of that predated the facilities, too, the big facilities upgrade and everything. So... Yes, a year coming out of this, we're not going to be able to like pick us. In fact, <clears throat> we just, you know, I was what Louis Vacare, I think, had just tweeted something out. Trey Pugh's younger brother at basically just widow, uh, winnowed his, his school list down. And like Trey, he is a tight end recruit. Um, and like Trey, they have very similar offer lists headlined by the Michigan Wolverines. And Trey famously picked Northwestern over Michigan. And if you look at his brother, his brother is just seems to be heading straight toward an eventual commitment to Michigan. And so, I mean, again, I'm not getting inside the minds of, of either guy in terms of the ultimate decisions and everything. But you could make a quick argument, right, that, that that's the kind of battle that you win or lose depending on a certain season like that. And, and, and so those kind of things. And it, it's less about Northwestern and more about like Michigan, who already is presenting a crazy position of power in any recruiting battle has that much more of an edge in a given year but still you have a ton of very good football players who northwestern will always be a great option for i mean i'm louis has a story right up on the website right now running back lavelle wright who has a tennessee offer which would make him a team a guy in our little model um tennessee is probably his one of his strongest offers, Kentucky is up there. He's from Kentucky um, and Northwestern. And Louis interviewed him and he basically was like, I've been waiting a year to get a Northwestern offer. So this guy looks really good on film and he's exactly the kind of guy who he's a team a guy, but in a year like this, winning a guy like that would be a really big prize. And I think those are the kind of guys you want to set your sights on. In you know, in a recruiting year like this, with the understanding that whoever we get, a lot of these guys are going to develop into great players. 
Yeah, so um, really great work putting all this together, John. I mean, thank you for you know coming I just, up. You know, this just, is this is I awesome want- to really think about. I just want to talk about some football, man. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just, man, like we're all sitting at home with brains fried, etc. I, man, I just want to talk some Northwestern recruiting and some Northwestern football. Like, you know, I hope that's why I hope we put this on the rivals board. I hope you guys had some fun with it, enjoyed it, etc. Um, we're just trying to give us all something to think about aside from the obvious, you know, think about some, some fun things, roll some fun things back and forth in your brain for a change. Next week on the Westlot Pirates <laughs> podcast, Tiger King, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I haven't started yet, so that, that that's probably on the list of things to do. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Um, head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlot Pirates, and leave us a an email to show westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scouse by Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.